Hey, everybody, before we get into today's episode, which we recorded uh, a little while ago, um, we want to talk about the legendary George Perez. Uh, George Perez was an artist, a writer, a role model, and a friend. His work paved seminal stories across comics, and his legacy of kindness and generosity will never be forgotten. Our family at Marvel mourns his loss, and our hearts are with his family and loved ones. Absolutely. I mean... I know you and I have talked about George Perez a lot over the yeah. past couple of years that we worked together. And like, for me, he's always been like a huge, huge role model. I mean, he was the first uh, Latino credit I've ever seen mm-hmm. um, in comics. And so like, it just, it was one of those things where it was inspirational to see someone like me in a comic book, um, creating a comic book nonetheless. It's interesting because his career started, you know, decades before mm-hmm. I before I even knew his work really. Cause you know, I started reading with X-Men and Spider-Man and, and then infinity gauntlet. Um, mm-hmm. I read the end of the series first and then hunted down the beginning of the series. And I remember that first time I saw the cover to issue number one. I know it's hyperbolic, but it was a transformative experience. It was, this, this was it. something I never had seen before. I remember staring at that cover for so long. And I paid a premium for it because it was like a hot book at the time, Mm -hmm. but it was, it was, it's one of those books where of course the cover needs to sell you the, the consumer, the reader on what the book is, but this is a book that it, it pushes everything else out of the way. Mm -hmm. Every other book just kind of pales in comparison to the way that that cover to infinity gauntlet number one looks, let alone the rest of the series. And then when you start opening up the, that book and looking at what's inside, for me, that was my first experience with, with George Perez's work. And it was it was something incredibly special and, and led me to going around and finding his other work and following him you know, for years and being enamored what, with what he had done. Um, and then it, was, it wasn't until much later, which I really you know, thought about the, the connection of him being uh, a Latinx creator and what that means to me, um, what that means to everyone else. So, yeah. He was a co-creator of The White Tiger. And for the longest time, I repped that hero so hard, despite everyone not knowing who he was. I was like, no, 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 guys. Latinx superhero in the Bronx. Let's go. So thank you so much, George. Indeed. Uh, I imagine we'll be talking about George much more in future Mm -hmm. episodes than forever because he's just that important to comic books. Legend, for sure. Let's get on with the show. Hello, Marvelites. You're listening to Marvel's Pull List for New Marvel Comics on Sale, May 11th, 2022. And I'm Ryan Panagos, aka Agent M. And I'm Jasmine Estrada. And this is our freaking 200th episode. And immediately someone will be like, actually, there are like 274 on the feed, which is fine. Means we give you extra content. How about that? You're welcome, by the way. Yeah, our officially numbered 200th episode, uh, which is pretty darn cool. That just happened. Pretty wild. Brian, speaking of our 200th episode, mm-hmm. I have a surprise for you. Ooh, I love surprises. Are you ready for this? It's a message from a friend of the show that you might recognize. Listen closely. Hello, Ryan, Agent Impinagos, and Jasmine 
Estrada. This is disgraced former co-host of Marvel's Pool List, Tucker Marcus, reporting to you live from London, England, where I now reside. I may have picked up a bit of the local accent, as you can probably hear, but I just wanted to get in touch and say congratulations on 200 episodes of this incredible, fantastic, brilliant podcast that I love and adore and always will love and adore. Ryan, you're the best around. You know that. We all know that. And Jasmine, it's been absolutely incredible and beautiful to see you come along so quickly and become one of the best co-hosts of a comic book podcast with the name Marvel's pull list for Marvel Entertainment in such a short space of time. Anyway, congrats on 200. May there be 200 more. Wait, sorry. I think that's a knock at the door. I think the Queen's here. Gotta go. Love you forever. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the My favorite part of that whole thing from Tucker is that he vacillates between a, a New Zealand accent and an Australian accent <laughs> completely, seamlessly, unintentionally. It was so good. Um, yeah. So good. I miss Tucker. Uh, Tucker was our, our launching co-host here on the show. We got to bring him back, Jasmine. We got to bring him back. We do. We will. For sure. Uh, been doing this for a little while. It's fun. We get to talk about comics. It's not a bad thing. Not at all. I mean, it's still one of my favorite things to tell people when they ask me what I do for a living. I'm just like, oh, you know, read comics, talk about it. It's about it. Repeat. <laughs> yeah. Uh, read a lot of comics and get excited uh, because this is Marvel's official podcast for Marvel Comics, where we talk about all the new comics on sale every week. We give our picks of the week. We give out awards. We tell you everything hitting your local comic shop or your local apps, including Marvel Unlimited plus new Marvel Infinity Comics, the exclusive scrolling comics, the vertical format comics that are so fun uh you get those we'll tell you what's hitting uh the collections this week and even do a reading club and because this is a giant size anniversary episode we have to have one of the goats i mean literally i would i would say now one of the greatest of all time Mm -hmm. on the show absolutely mr jason aaron yeah 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 so pumped we just get lost in his beard Mm -hmm. you know we snuggle up in it well that's what the reading club's all about yeah it's, it's just, just his beard. Just his beard. Yep. No, the Reading Club is covering the first arc of Thor, God of Thunder, the God Butcher, the first arc that Jason did with artist Isad Rabik. And um, we, we dive into a little bit more, mm-hmm. you know, of, of course, talking with Jason. Um, but it's real fun. Real, yeah. real fun. We could have easily just talked about the entire run, but we didn't want to spend an, an extra four hours with, with Jason. He had things to do. And he was going to pick up one of our friends from Marvel at the airport. So I mean That's like true. it's fine. It's fine. We'll pack this episode with lots of Jason Aaron goodness and lots of Thor goodness that uh, I'm sure everybody's going to be very excited about over the coming months. Heck yeah. Are you ready to talk about this week's books though, Ryan? You better believe it because we have three picks. Uh the week is relatively small number of books but a high percentage of great books, which is always super mm-hmm. fun. Uh, Going to warn everyone next week there are 400 books coming out. So I thought it was closer to 500, but you might be it correct. It might be. 
the numbers fluctuate. There's a lot of books next week, so, so let's books. get on with it. Oh, plus, 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 plus. Uh, if you missed them, there were two bonus episodes we gave you mm-hmm. last week. Um, so make sure you have checked those out in your feed. Those are super fun. But uh, yes, first book, first pick of the week is Captain America, Symbol of Truth. Number one by friend of the show, Tochi Anyabuchi. He's the writer with artist Arby Silva. Letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. Colors by Jesus Arbertov. And there is there was a moment when I was reading this where I was thinking, yeah, Tochi, good job. That's some good dialogue. Right? And then I flipped the page and I was like, oh, this is also such a showcase for yes. Arby Silva. Hell I mean... Yeah. Arby's been doing great stuff over the last couple of years has been, we've given him great spotlight across the the publishing landscape. Um, he's done a bunch of X stuff, done a bunch of really great stuff, but it feels like this is the book where he's like shining. There's a shot of Joaquin Torres, AKA mm. Falcon in here where he's flying through like explosions in the sky and he's got his wings out and he looks so cool. But the, the background hat is like these speed lines. Also the sound effects of boom, 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 boom mm-hmm. right behind him. And then Jesus's his colors all around it. It's, and it's, this is just like a top third of the page. It is so beautifully structured and so dynamic in what it is doing. Uh, I was really, I was, I was quite taken by it. I shall say. Um, Absolutely. And there's there's one particular scene that reminds me of their combination of both Tochi's and Arby Silva's mm-hmm. common like teamwork. It's like the exact same thing happens in the book where um, Sam is inside a train, a moving train, and he like throws a baddie out the train's window and pretty much tells Joaquin like, hey, catch, I got something for you. And like Joaquin pretty much catches him in midair and it almost looks like he's drop kicking him. And it very well could have just been that, but they need to get some information out of him. It's very much that type of like alley-oop type of partnership between both Tochi and Arby Silva here. Yeah. Um, I also want to give a shout out to Arby and Jesus and the team for having restraint and knowing when to use deep blacks silhouettes darkness um because that is a very effective tool when it's used properly like there's a shot where you go inside a container and you see people and then the darkness around them or shots of some stuff going on where you see a character just fully in silhouette which is really good it provides a lot so of good. contrast to what's going on and in and this happens in numerous ways that he actually at one point they flip it so the silhouette is like a it looks like a negative but that's it's an effective piece of storytelling absolutely on the same note of like effective storytelling that first page on the book is all just like scene setting and very much sets the tone for the entire series and it feels very western like like you know immediately where you're at between the colors and the art it's just like you guys built an entire world in one page. It's gorgeous. Yeah. And of course, this series is one of two Captain America titles we have launching right around now. Um, this one focuses on Sam Wilson, Captain America. And so we get Sam Wilson, we get his world, we get people around him. So we get some Misty Knight action and some really, I think that was the the character building and the dialogue of that whole section. And then the connections with Joaquin and Sam. I thought those were really where Tochi was starting to shine. It was really fun. Up next, we have my first pick of the week, which is Hulk versus Thor, Banner of War Alpha number one, which is written by Donnie Cates with art by Martin Cocolo, colors by Matt Wilson, and letters by VCs Joe Sabino. And this book does not hold back on any of the punches, literally. 
um, and figuratively because this issue is packed with action. Like it is exactly what you want out of a Thor versus Hulk book. And right off the bat, it lets you know that this is not going to be like any other Thor versus Hulk story. It's going to be a lot more. There's a lot more going on. And the thing I like about it the most is when you first start, it gives you two big splash pages in that kind of highlight what's been going on in both Donny Cates' Thor story and inside of his uh, Hulk stories. So you don't necessarily need to read both of them to catch up and to read this. I mean, it helps, but if you're coming into this new, like you can start right here and get like a pretty good grasp on what's been going on in both their worlds and the stakes that are pretty much being set up here. Um, but it's such a good book. It's, the art is gorgeous. Like right off the bat, we start off in a world that is like a cartoon world. But the thing that I like about it the most is that it's not just one type of cartoon style. It's like multiple. Like it almost feels like Adventure Time meets like 1930 cartoons. 40s. The character has flailing arms, which looks yeah. straight out of Penn Ward's Adventure Time. Yes. There's characters who look like straight out of Steamboat Willie era cartoons. Yeah, it's great. All right, our third pick of the week this week is X-Men number 11. <sighs> Come on. I think we immediately, Ugh. as we were starting to figure out our books, this one jumped out to both of us as a must pick. Um, one of the things I have to shout out before we even get into the book, there's a variant cover by Lucas Wernick that is in the style of the old X-Men trading cards, the Jim Lee um, series of trading cards where like the, I lived and breathed and died for these cards. I have a full set here in my office, but they introduced these supervillains. So you have Cordyceps Jones, who's, you know, a big character in this arc right now. And you get the Cerebro scan. It's like just the way it evokes such nostalgia for that. I'm like, man, I wish we actually had new trading cards of these I know. like this. I really would love that. Like, that's like the last thing I need right now for as a collector of way too many things. But yeah. I would kill for those. Yeah. Um, and all around, top to bottom, great covers. This issue is written by Jerry Duggan, art by Pepe Larraz, colors by Marte Gracia, letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. I, it just feels like Pepe just get somehow just keeps getting better. I don't understand it. It does not make any sense. There's this one shot where Wolverine is like tucked in a corner and surveilling and it, she's like completely in shadow. Um, and like, there's just like small little highlights that you can see. And I'm like, this is, it's just gorgeous. It's like the way they use colors too is amazing. Yeah. At the first page, you open up on Mojo, who is one of my all time favorite characters, because of course he's a big weirdo in a giant metal chair and he's got no spine and his eyes are peeled open and he's just, just a beautiful big boy. Um, I, this Mojo shot of him and his like control center, but the, the shot, you know, and we talk about this a lot. You could do this shot in 150 million oh, different ways. But the way that Pepe puts the camera up here, angled in such a way, shoots it down, has Mojo, his his hand is coming up at you, his other hand is here. The way that the uh, the word balloons are placed, the way that the, the big woohoo is placed, all of these things, it all comes together in such a beautiful, beautiful way. And then you turn the page and you get this this big shot of Mojo towering over one of his assistants. It's, it's so good. I only get two pages of Mojo in this book, but I feel like worth it. Yeah. So worth it. The big thing here is that four core members of the X-Men squad are going to this casino planet called game world. So you got Polaris, Jean gray, rogue and Wolverine, the four of them looking just incredible. Yes. They're clearly wearing their like hellfire gala wardrobe, but 
the thing I love about this page is that you can tell that both Pepe and Marte like take the extra time to really flesh out the details. Like, I don't know, like I, when I saw this page for the first time, I didn't, I, I caught things that I didn't notice from their, their costumes from before. If you look at like Jean Grey, you can kind of see that the sides of her dress are made out of mesh and you can kind of like see through. Same thing with Rogue, you can kind of see some mesh and then like the way that the dresses fall on both Polaris and Wolverine is just perfect. Like they, they're as big of fans of these looks as we are for sure. Yeah. Also, I just love the artist letting um, Laura lean into the goth look like that is so good i'm excited i'm glad that they they keep that angle for her because she's she's had that for a while and sometimes it goes away sometimes it comes back but like she's just got a weird cool style there's a darkness to the things she wears it's it's fabulous this opening shot of the four women from the x-men walking through like you can kind of hear music feel them mm-hmm. coming down this, these stairs it's got this like oceans eight vibe i was just about um, to say that yeah 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 which i love i love oceans eight that was a freaking great movie it's rad as hell they're going to game world because they're just basically like gene's like you know what screw these people screw this cordyceps jones guy they are trying to mess with our planet we do not stand for it we're going up there we're taking this in our own hands and then the next one of the next pages is a six panel shot of rocket raccoon who's playing cards with gambit and some x-men folks but he's basically explaining what the game world is and and giving them some insight and he says i'm happy i got to see it once before whatever you're about to do to it happens which i just i love that because he's just like they're gonna mess they're gonna break this thing it's great Uh, the other side of things you've got sync and uh, cyclops or captain krakoa depending on what you want to call him right now but the two of them are in the sewers they're tracking down some stuff and they both have these awesome moments you could tell jerry is just having fun and letting these Mm -hmm. characters prove that they're great characters sometimes characters just run away with their own stories and and Mm -hmm. run away with the way that they they act and they breathe and they exist and it feels like that in particular with these two characters here because cyclops as much as i want to rag on him he rules in this issue. He's yeah, he does. he's a badass. He's cool. Sync is dope. There's this one shot, and I'm not going to give away the line that he says, um, but he messes up this bad dude, and then he like has this moment of like, w- like breathing, and then a pose moment, and it's mm-hmm. dope. I was like, okay, cool. When are we getting our Sync ongoing series? Please, thank oh, you. I need it asap. On that same note, though, talking about characters and like Jerry's work and like letting them just just showcasing how cool they are. The thing that I love about this issue is, I mean, I love Polaris. Like, I will live and breathe Polaris fandom any day. But the story starts off with them, like, obviously, you know, starting off in this heist, getting to game world, and they all have their own plans. And right away, Polaris gets distracted by, like, a dress, a new dress in a a window. Like, she's, like, window shopping instead of doing what she's supposed to do. But it would be very easy just to, like, play that stereotype and be like, oh, yeah, she's just a ditz and she just wants to go shopping while everybody else is on a mission. But the way that her story plays out was very satisfying because it's, one, true to her character, but also, two, shows you why she matters and how, like, how important she is to this team regardless of that. It is a gorgeously drawn book, a masterfully written book, and then you get to the last page and the reveal. And I was just like, damn it, Jerry. I know, I know. Y- y'all and Pepe are just like so good. The this, I loved what 
Jonathan and crew did on that first X-Men run. And I thought that Jerry and company had a big shoes to fill. And the first issue or two, I was like, okay, I see where this is going. I'm not quite there yet, but I'm into it. And now I'm like, this is the bee's knees. This is friggin' yes. fantastic. Yes. The other day, I was literally just talking to someone about Jerry Duggan and Brian Posehn's Deadpool run, and I recommended it to a friend. And it got me thinking. I was like, oh, yeah, what's what's Jerry doing again? And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. Writing one of the best X-Men series like of all time. Like He's just killing it. What a guy. All right, Jasmine, it's time for our award section of the show and a little bit of community. What is our award this week? So this week, our award name is the I Bought a Gold Toilet Yesterday Award. Which is uh, a really fun one. I'm glad you picked that one. And so if you, dear listener, find this quote, screen cap it and tweet it to at Agent M and at Jasmiest with hashtag Marvel's pull list or email us at pull list at marvel.com if you're the first i may send you something fun a surprise who knows we'll see and of course we do this every week so let's talk about last week's winner and uh and some other folks yeah so last week if you listened if you tuned in the award name was the no thanos those are my corpses award and i want to shout out karis pollard for being the first to find it it was in avengers forever issue number five Karis was like all on it, which was mm-hmm. great. Um, but we also want to give some special shout outs to other folks who got it right away. Mountain Meg at Meg Stocker, who's terrific. Meg got it about 30 minutes after Karis. I know. It was so close. I know. It was so close. We did get some some bonus pictures of her kids at the comic shop, though. Yes, so which is always great. delightful. Yes. Uh, also want to give shout outs to Mark Orenberger. Mike DePole, Eric Hale, and Nick Roy, who all emailed in with, uh, they all found it in Avengers, which is great, which means y'all are reading Avengers forever, which is so good. So good. So great. Especially Uh, last week's issue with with nothing but doom. I know. Come on. So good. We should just do a whole podcast about doom. The Doomcast. Doomcast. I'm sure there's already a Doomcast of some sort. All right, um, because we had some really great emails, we're going to read some of the messages you sent in to us because you always also mark them okay to read so we can read them on the show. Um, that goes for the tweets and the emails and all that good stuff. So the first we got was an email from Michael Forster who says, first, I wanted to tell you that I absolutely love Marvel's pull list and listen to it during my hour commute to work every Tuesday morning. Besides going over the new releases and giving me a challenge each week to find the award panel, the guests you have for the Reading Club are fantastic. These interviews have allowed me to explore some issues that I've passed up in the past. So thank you for the great content. Thank you for that, Michael. Um, yeah, I'm glad that you are willing to like share an hour with us every Yeah, week. I mean, That's honestly, awesome. that that is the hugest thing in the world of like giving us your time. Mm-hmm. Truly, it's it's a remarkable thing. Um, but also, Michael continues saying the reason for this email and not a tweet is that I'm very interested in starting up a podcast for the agency I work at. We serve teens and young adults that have been in the foster care system, providing them tools and resources to help them become self-sufficient. Unfortunately, once a teen ages out of the system, 20% of them will be homeless within the first year. They have less than a 3% chance to earn a college degree, and 7 out of 10 girls will become pregnant before the age of 21. There are over 20,000 youth aging out every year. I would love to share some of their stories to raise awareness of the need for housing and services for these young adults and show examples of how some of them were able to overcome some pretty major obstacles in their lives. My question to you, 
Is there a guide or a book you recommend for starting or doing a podcast? I'm sure I can ask the internet, but I wanted to get advice from the one podcast that I thoroughly enjoy. I can send you a list of a couple different things, but the one that I would definitely recommend to our listeners is there's a graphic novel actually called Out on the Wire by Jessica Abel, and it's great. It might be a little bit more than what you're looking for, but it will at least give you a lot of the context on like how to tell a story uh, through radio, how to book guests, how to find people, how to like interview people. Um, and it's great. Like it's, it's very well done. It's also a graphic novel. So like it's perfect. We also got a tweet from Michael. He loved one of our recent episodes and he says, and hearing Ryan North discuss Squirrel Girl, I also like the suggestion of some future reading clubs that are character based. I would have to pick Jamie Madrock and Abigail Brand. I feel there is so much more to these two. Thank you for that addition, Michael, because the, that's what we're looking for. We're looking for suggestions. Mm -hmm. I think the Jamie Madrox one is really good, and mm -hmm. Jasmine has already hit something really great for that. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a really great idea, and I might be working on something uh, that will be coming in the near future on Jamie Madrox, a.k.a. the uh, Multiple Man. So stay tuned for that. Thank you so much for the suggestion, though. Yeah, so uh, maybe an Abigail brand down the line, but a Jamie Madrox one is incoming. Thank you for that, Michael. We have an email from Eric Hale, who, in addition to finding the award from last week, said, In regard to reading clubs, I would absolutely love a reading club about Greg Rucka's Wolverine run. Oh, heck yeah. The Brotherhood and Coyote Crossing arcs specifically, and Charlie Houston's Moon Knight run. Reading those books inspired me so much that I ended up writing my own noir thriller that I'm currently trying to get published. The style of those beautiful and brutal tales greatly influenced my own work, and I'd love to listen to a deep dive on them. Thanks for putting out great content each week and keeping me informed about all those fabulous fresh floppies. Those are great suggestions. We'll put those on the on the potential list, Eric. Well, we got other emails, but this one comes from Nick Roy, who says, just picked up the new Avengers Forever at Third Eye Comics in Richmond, Virginia, and Ooh. he found the award. So shout out to Third Eye Comics in Richmond. Uh, Nick continues saying, you all inspired me to pick up the Executioner song, Omnibus, a few weeks ago. Ooh. It was as good as advertised. Please keep revisiting and recommending these classic stories. <sighs> the amount of joy I get from hearing <laughs> everybody being like, oh. This story is the greatest thing in the world. It's just, it's really nice. I love it. I'm sure it. it's, it's very satisfying to it hear is and very, very affirming. Sad. Yes. And look, I don't need affirmation. I'm going to love that story no, no matter what. But man, <laughs> knowing that it does connect with other people makes me it's really good. happy. It's good. It's a good story. It's the greatest story ever. Yeah. So thank you so much for all of those emails. I'm really excited that we're getting a lot of emails and a lot of like great recommendations. It's amazing. But now it's time to talk about some fabulous fresh floppies but before you do that i want to quickly remind you and everybody and our listeners what our award name for this week is and it is the i bought a gold toilet yesterday award so we'll be awarding that to our fresh floppies for this week mm -hmm. on to all the other new comics on sale this week and like i said it's not a ton of books but it's a bunch of good really exciting books including king conan Number four, which it was really tough for me not to pick this issue. Of course, our guest this week, Jason Aaron, he's the writer on this. And I, I've loved everything Conan that Jason has touched. He's a huge, huge fan for all things Conan. And this is him telling new stories around Conan. And not just new stories, but like the story of 
the latter part of Conan's life when he's king and he's gotten everything and he's uh, this is sort of like a twofold story one is him having discussions and interactions and conversations and as the cover will show you a fight with his son Khan and the other side of him like fighting for his life alongside his mortal enemy it is so incredible I think I will give my I bought a gold toilet yesterday award and I'm going to be very vague about it, but I'm going to give my award to the culmination of the fight between Conan and Khan because it is something that it lands in a way that I was not expecting it to land. And mm-hmm. is that is sort of like the beauty of what Jason does. He gives you everything you expect. And then right when you're at the end, you're like, I, I didn't expect that. And it's mm-hmm. such a beautiful surprise. So good. Next up, we have uh, a book that I've been waiting for for a while, Moon Knight, Black, White, and Blood, number one. And, okay, there are three stories in this book, and the first one is done by Jonathan Hickman with Chris Pichalo, and the last one is done by Mark Guggenheim and Jorge Fornes, but I absolutely need to give my I Bought a Gold Toilet Yesterday award to the storytellers in the middle story, the second story, um, titled So White Yet So Dark by Murawa Ayodole and Dotan Akande, because to my knowledge, this is the first story that they've done for us, and they knocked it out of the park. Like, everything from the art to the, the words, like, it is gorgeous. The book, this story is, like, what, 11 pages, not even? And it features Moon Knight and Spider-Man and... They're teaming up alongside each other to they go on a mission. Obviously, it's just gorgeous. The art I like could not stop. I I I, mean, I must have screenshotted panel after panel just to be like, this is cool. I'm gonna use this as my like my iPhone wallpaper. This one's gonna go on my Apple Watch wallpaper. This one's gonna be my desktop wallpaper because I was like, this art is incredible. And then the story overall is just so good. And it's clear that these these creatives know these characters and love the characters so much. Um, because they they hit all the notes. If you've been a fan of these characters, both Moon Knight and Spider-Man, like this is a story for you. You're going to love it. It's just so simple yet perfect and like complex and beautiful. All right, we have Shang-Chi number 12. This is the final issue of this series. What? Don't worry. We are going into Shang-Chi and the Ten Rings coming up really soon. And this is the perfect lead in to that series. Um, I will just give my I Bought a Gold Toilet Yesterday award to the big battle at the heart of this. It's a big family battle with Shang-Chi fighting his grandfather. There's words being thrown around, weapons. There's there's a lot of emotional and physical like attacking being done by both sides. And like there's a just the moment at the end of it where a bunch of characters surround someone. And I was just like, oh, man, crushing it, crushing it. Also, this is the first time we get to see the Ten Rings, or at least these Ten Rings, um, in action in, in the, the 616, in the Marvel Universe. Um, so I was really surprising to see, and like, learning how they work here, so cool. All right, next up we have Star Wars The Halcyon Legacy, number three, and each issue in this series is a one-shot featuring different characters from the Star Wars Universe. But this issue is centered around Anakin and Padme, and like... It's just exactly what you would want. Um, you get a shirtless Anakin Skywalker fighting alongside Padme. They're like training and it's adorable. But I want to give my I Bought a Gold Toilet Yesterday award to the baddie in this book, which is Ventress. And I love Ventress. So seeing her here in action, always a pleasure. 
All right, last new book of the week is What If Miles Morales number three. And the question here is, what if Miles Morales became the Hulk? Uh, so, you know, it ties in with Miles as a kid, his uncle Aaron, some shady things going on. I think I'm going to give my I bought a gold toilet yesterday award to Miles's connection with his friends and family particularly Genki in this I just like the dynamic between them there's a moment where Miles like hulks out and Genki goes whoa dude that's so awesome and just like this like pure fun friend way yeah like you have someone that you your ride or die that is just like doesn't lose their cool they're not like oh no ah they're just like especially when he's mad this is the greatest day of my life yeah like Miles is mad at Genki and that's why he hulks out and Genki's just like whoa that's so yeah. cool man and then like the next the next page has this moment where like genki has to pull miles's hood over his uh head it's mm-hmm. really cute it's it's just sweet stuff it's also like got a lot of hulk easter eggs in here and i just appreciated that all right those are all the new floppies hitting stands this week but over on mu we have a bunch of infinity comics coming to the the service the app as well as new to MU books. First off, we have a couple of the Infinity comics like X-Men Unlimited Infinity number 34, um, which is part three of the downtime arc starring both Jamie Madrox and Strong Guy. It's written, drawn by uh, Jason Liu. There's also Spider-Verse Unlimited Infinity Comic 5, Marvel Meow Infinity Comic 6, and over on MU proper with uh, new comics hitting the service this week. We've got Daredevil, Woman Without Fear, number two, Fantastic Four, Reckoning War Alpha, number one, which is a huge one, really cool, Spider-Woman 19, Shang-Chi, number eight, and a whole bunch more. To see the full list of those, you can go to marvel.com, but also some extra fun stuff that also hit the service this week, the free comic book day books. Woo! Yes, so if you missed out on getting those uh, last weekend... Um, you can definitely check those out on the 11th. Get those. Also, there are collections on sale this week, including a bunch of omnibuses, omnibuy, omnibuses. Uh, <laughs> the Captain Britain omnibus seems really cool if you don't already have those Captain Britain books. But um, also, Star Wars by Jason Aaron omnibus out this week, which is a perfect segue into our conversation with... Jason freaking Aaron talking about what, Jasmine? His beard. Mmm, delicious beard. Yes, but also Thor God of Thunder, the God Butcher, um, which is the first arc in his Thor run. So very excited for that. Let's talk with Jason right now. Jasmine, are you ready to talk to one of the BBCBBs, one of the bearded boys of the comic book business, Mr. Jason Aaron? (laughs) That was a lot of letters, but yes, I'm very excited. Hello, Jason. Uh, Hello. Jason. (laughs) That was quite quite an intro. (laughs) I like that both of you were like, oh, what is he going to say? Yeah, I was like, what is this acronym? And I'm like, did you plan this out beforehand? Literally thought it, thought about it when I was looking at Jason just now wow you know what would have been a, a better use of your time was for you to actually grow a beard instead Damn. of this sad sad mustache you're still you're still clinging to you just i know jealous. this is a constant point of contention between the two of us and i was hoping that you would have alleviated it by you know filling that in but you you haven't 
You Look, just because you have a weak little girly chin that uh, you want to hide <laughs> behind that big tuft of gray and, and brown business is fine. Mine shines brightly, caressed I, by a beautiful mustache. I live it. I love it. It is who I, I am. I do have a weak chin. I don't like to see my chin. <laughs> have you guys – look, I'm here for beer drama. I, I want listeners to know that before we even scheduled this like recording, you guys were both in the email chain just going at each other's yes. facial hair and – I'm pretty sure Ryan instigated it. I'm sure I did. I'm a sweetheart. Ryan's. (laughs) Jason actually is a sweetheart. It's true. Uh, Also, one of my favorite people in comics. One of two people I've only ever gotten a tattoo with at the same, roughly the same time. (laughs) You and my wife, Jason. (laughs) Oh, wow. Okay. Um, uh, the tattoos we spoke, we are talking about are War of the Realms related tattoos. We got them together. There's uh, an old episode of This Week in Marvel where we talk about it. There's videos and all kinds of good stuff. But before, well before the War of the Realms, we got to talk, we're, we're here to talk about the book that you were writing at the start of all the Thor, Mishigas Thor, God of Thunder. All of this feels perfect for our big anniversary episode mm-hmm. because before you even got on, we were blowing smoke up your skirt because we were like, it's really hard to start reading this series for us, and we have the big, uh, the big complete volumes. It's really hard to start reading it and not just keep going. Mm-hmm. Um, and it collects what eighteen issues, something like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's it's super fun. It's exciting. Before we even get into Thor, though, Jason, did you have a comic book shop when you were growing up? When did you start getting into comics? I didn't have a comic book shop until I was like old enough to drive to it basically so i mean i grew up in a small town in alabama there was no comic book shop there um so it was the drugstore spinner rack for me i mean i got into comics yeah really young i'd tag along with my mom to the grocery store and stuff and and she'd buy me whatever comics i wanted and then there, i remember there was a used bookstore there in town that i would go to all the time and there was one time they had like some direct market books there, just, you know, used copies, which I'd never seen before because I'd never been to a comic book store. And I was just sort of amazed, like, what is this? I think I was 15 or 16 when I first went to a comic book shop. And I've literally since that day, like I've had a pull list at one shop or another. We're going to be talking about Thor, uh, God of Thunder. You had already been at Marvel for a couple of years. What were some of the first books that you wrote for Marvel? How'd you get into Marvel? And like, what led to Thor? Well, I, I had a weird way of getting to Marvel and that I won a Marvel Comics talent search contest in, in 2001, which was kind of strange. You know, it was this weird opportunity that sort of popped up, you know, gave me the chance to write this uh, short little Wolverine story, which was my first published work. And for the first time kind of encouraged me to think, you know, hey, maybe I'm actually good enough to do this. I had spent so many years just feeling like, being good is the hard part, right? Like if you're good enough to actually warrant an editor's attention or a reader's attention, then the breaking out part, people figure that out all the time, right? Like there's there's so many different ways to, to do that, but I always felt like you just got to be good enough. Like that's the real challenge. And so winning that talent search contest was the first time I felt like, okay, maybe I actually am good enough to take a shot at this. And it was five years of probably the hardest I've ever worked in comics, you know, before I had other gigs and then I was doing more Wolverine stuff and, and Ghost Rider was my first Marvel on going and I've kind of been there ever since. Love that. I've talked a lot about how much I love that Ghost Rider run and your Wolverine run 
I like your comics, Jason, is, is the thing I figure, like, I keep coming back to. As much as I despise you, I really <laughs> like your comics. They're, they're so well, much Well, that's fun. the most important part. I'd rather you like the books than like me. <laughs> Jason, I wanted to ask. So, like, you were raised Southern Baptist. Right. And I know that there, you have a fondness for religion despite not being religious. And I'm curious if you can expand on that and how that kind of ties into your work on Thor. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think you can really see this tying into all of my work. Going back to that, when I won that Marvel Talent Search contest, the eight page, 10 page, however long it was, Wolverine story I wrote was the Mike Martz, who was the X-Men editor at the time who picked me as a winner, told me that I he picked me because I was one of the only stories that didn't have Wolverine fighting ninjas or or in, getting in a bar fight. And it was a, just a story about Wolverine meeting this lady kind of on a backwoods road and getting into a conversation about faith. So kind of right out of the gate, I was sort of dealing with issues of faith. And those are things that are important to me, even though they're not important to me on a personal level. Like, yeah, I was raised in the, in the South in a small town, was raised Southern Baptist. I've considered myself an atheist for I guess probably most of my life at this point, since kind of my early 20s, sort of gradually lost the faith part of the equation. But I've stayed fascinated. If anything, I've become more fascinated by kind of the, the stories of different religions. And when I got the opportunity to do Thor, which kind of came out of the blue, I'd never, Thor was not a book I was, you know, jockeying for or that I had on a list of like, man, I really want to write Thor someday. But it was during the midst of, I think it was Marvel Now was the the initiative at the time where suddenly every book was available. Like all of us were switching books. All the creators were switching around. So it's, suddenly any book you wanted to do, you know, you could stake a claim for. And kind of in the midst of that, for the first time, I thought, I think I want to do Thor. I really loved Matt Fraction's Ages of Thunder one shots, you know, reading those was the first time I got inklings of like, oh, okay, I think I might want to do some Thor stories at some point. So then, you know, how do I approach that as the the guy who the, who's an atheist? And I'm if you read Stan's thoughts on, you know, why he wanted to do Thor in the first place, like that's what makes Thor unique is that they wanted to do a superhero who's a god. So if anything, I wanted to lean into that idea of like, what does that mean? What does it mean to be a god in the Marvel Universe? Um, and you can tell right out of the gate. I mean, the, the, it was my idea, like that the book was called Thor, God of Thunder. The first arc is about Gore, the God butcher. And the second arc is the God bomb. So we're making it pretty clear. Like this is about what it means to be a God. And I, I think for me as in writing it as an atheist, I was always writing about, look, I don't believe in God, but this is the kind of God I would like to believe in. Right. Like Thor, exemplifies that the god who wakes up every day he's got that hammer sitting next to him he looks at it he knows he picked it up yesterday but he doesn't know if he's going to be worthy to pick it up today until he actually does i I love that idea of him constantly questioning his worthiness and constantly every day setting out to prove to the world at large and to himself most of all that he is worthy that's a good god i love that the thing that was fascinating to me in these first five issues was like you almost like painted yourself into a corner as an atheist and being like, all right, how do I get this? How do I get out of this? Because you, you gave yourself a protagonist who was like, or all gods are bad. So then if, if you could come in with that idea, like, how do you get yourself out of it? And that's the thing that impressed me the most where you're like, 
no, like there's still a way out. There's still like this bit of faith. There's a bit of hope. Um, and I found that very inspiring. Thanks. Yeah. I mean, I think for me as a person, like I wrestle between optimism and pessimism. I go back and forth and I think you can see that in this story. I mean, the, yeah, Gore the God Butcher has a point, right? Like when you, you see his origin story and why he's so upset, you're like, you get it. Okay. I get why this guy is so angry. And there are times some of his dialogue, some of his kids dialogue. I mean, they're, they're saying things that are I pretty closely aligned with at times, right. In terms of their views on how gods divide us. And he's got a point. I mean, he goes about it the wrong way and that he becomes a horrible serial killer, but the legacy of Gore haunts Thor for years over the course of my run, right? Even after that initial story. I agree with you. I do think it's very much about hope. I mean, I think that you see that in in Thor's journey, and then, of course, you also see that uh, when Jane comes along and what Jane represents. And her, you know, there's a, there's a darkness there, and there's a price that she's paying, but it's still very much about uh, fighting on and doing the right thing, no, no matter the consequences. It's interesting, because I think about religion a lot, I'm I'm very similar to you guys. I'm not religious at all, but raised religious. But just the whole idea of religion and faith—it's it's a fascinating thing to me. I, I love those conversations, and I you know rereading it here, rereading this story in the different gods and their pantheons and the way they're represented and the way they they look and even just descriptions that we get of some of them. It's fun. I love that we have that in the Marvel universe. Like we have this breadth of a cosmic, galactic, multiversal concept that can encompass ego the living planet and galactus devourer of worlds and you know the god of of poetry and the god of thunder and a librarian god and like all this stuff and somersaults (laughs) poetry and somersaults yeah Yeah. all sorts of things yeah Yeah, he's the god of a lot of things yeah did you have any conversations with um your editors at the time or with any anyone else about some of these gods that you were thinking of and creating and you know like putting to to script some of these ideas and concepts I didn't know initially like who the supporting cast for the book would be. I mean, I think for the most part in that first arc of God of Thunder, Thor's supporting cast is Thor, right? Like you get three versions of the character. That's really the most fun, I think, it was for me of, of that arc is writing those three versions, you know, bickering with each other, which I can get. You can imagine if, you know, your 16-year-old self, your present-day self and your old far future self got together. They probably wouldn't see eye to eye on everything. I love that first interaction or one of the first interactions where, you know, like middle grade Thor is like, all right, dad. And then, you know, old King Thor is just like, I'm not your father. And it's yeah. there's obviously I'm I'm not saying it verbatim, although, you know, you could take that dialogue if you need it for a future story. No, that Jesus. was great. That Thank was you. a great reenactment. I appreciate it. I want to start talking about some of the creatives on this book. I want to give the credits real quick. We're going to be talking about Thor, God of Thunder, number one through five. That's the first arc, God Butcher. And it's written by you, Jason Aaron, uh, with pencils by Asad Ribic, colors by Dean White on issue number one, Eves Forcina on issues two through five, and then lettered by VCs Joe Sabino, and of course, edited by Jake Thomas, John Moisen, and Lauren Sankovich. I want to start by talking about the three Thors because I find that so such an interesting way to like tell this story. I'm curious why you decided to do go that route. Um, and if there were any challenges with that. Well, I think in terms of why I really, I think you can look at all the big 
um, hallmarks of this story, and it was all about me showing what's different about Thor. Why is Thor cool? You know, and, and how is how are Thor stories different than Captain America stories or Spider Man stories? So again, leaning into the God part of the equation was a big part of that. And then the other one was I wanted to do a, a story that took advantage of the fact that Thor's life is so much longer than any of these other Marvel superheroes, right? So so to do an adventure that encompasses his life from, you know, his, his young days in the Viking Age to the, the present day and then into the far, far future, you know, where he seems to be the last god left alive um, and this grizzled old, you know, one-eyed, one-armed version of himself. You can't do that story with most other Marvel heroes, right? That's one of the things that makes Thor cool. Where did the idea of the God Butcher come from? You know, the to me, another thing that's cool about Thor is he's one of those characters you can put him kind of into different genres and different kinds of stories. So I, I liked the idea of, again, I wanted to do something that was big and epic and stretched, you know, a story that stretched across centuries and eons and that was cosmic but also dark. So I liked the idea of injecting, you know, some horror into the midst of that. So I thought, well, what about, you know, a serial killer of gods? In, in the same way that we see these different versions of Thor and see how he's changed over the, the eras, we'll also see how Gore changes and evolves over the course of that time. He goes from being just kind of this one creepy guy stalking through the shadows, butchering gods, to, you know, evolving into something bigger and bigger and bigger as he goes. Did you have any like hand in in designing what Gore looked like? I mean, that was I think pretty much mostly Esad. Plug for the uh, Thor by Jason Aaron complete collections because the back of this book has uh, an Esad sketchbook with just gorgeous illustrations and, and concepts for for the the Thors and for Gore in here. Um, was Esad on the book when you were, was like, he already going to do Thor and you were just, you know, the, the lucky bastard who, uh, came in. No, but he was, I mean, I was told pretty quickly, like when I, when I said, Hey, I think I want to write Thor. They said, okay, I didn't have a story yet. Didn't know what I wanted to do, but I was penciled in as the Thor guy and was pretty quickly told Esad's going to draw it. So I think knowing that, I mean, I'd, you know, I'd worked with Esad a little bit before and was, of course, was a big fan of his work. I think knowing that, knowing that he was going to do it helped shape what that story was because I, I, I could, everything I'm imagining and, and dreaming up, I could already picture how Esad's going to knock that out of the park. And I also love because the way you describe it is so, it's so visceral and so clear. And then to see them on the page and like young Thor is sleeveless and his chest puffed out. I think I, I, I can clearly see the image of him in the I think it's the first issue where he's outside and he's smiling and he's got his hand on his on his mm-hmm. axe. And like you just got this this feeling of like hot blooded, ready to, to rampage, you know, just brash young dude. And then the middle Thor more not reserved, but like a little bit older, wiser, more responsibilities, a little bit more thoughtful. And then that older Thor just like, and and gnarly (laughs) and with his costume and he's just ragged and angry and and spitting venom. Um, But they are very clearly all the same character visually and thematically, but not. It's, I, I think you got, you guys did a pretty good job. 
at this. It's pretty good. I guess. <laughs> it's, uh, it's fine. You know, decent enough comic. You have these three different versions of Thor, and I don't know how, but like you guys avoided one all the time travel like mishaps. It's like, okay, is this in the same? Are they from the same universe? Like, are they like one person's future affecting the next? Um, like you navigated it very well, but also like as like a story or like someone who's reading the story for the first time, I remember, I distinctly remember being like, well, why do I care about present day Thor if I already know what's going to happen in the future with future Thor? Um, and I guess I'm curious, like how you tackled that um, or if that ever came up as, as like a, I don't know, like I can totally see an editor be like, why are you going to tell us about future Thor if we know he loses? Sure. Yeah. I get what you're saying. And yeah, that was definitely, um, I don't know if I remember us having a specific conversation about that, but that was definitely something I was aware of. But part of it, you know, the the time travel stuff, you you try to make easy enough for people to understand with, without stopping the story and, you know, diving down the, the wormhole of explaining everything. You just want people to to feel confident that you know what you're doing when you're telling the story, that there are rules. And so hopefully we pulled that off. Right. Suspension of disbelief is a fascinating thing, like trying yes. to sure. to connect that to people because we can we can handle, you know, a guy who flies with a, a magic mallet and and pounds around, you know, all around the cosmos and, and devours of worlds, as I've mentioned, and all this other stuff. But time travel, that's a little too far. Like you got to you got to absorb sure. it all. Um, yeah. And I think what you do and what you're saying is like just make it simple and, and straightforward and you let it wash over you and understand it. You just breeze right into it. Like I don't even think about it in this storyline. No. It doesn't, it's not even a concern. Yes. The, the You're right. The time travel is, is on the one hand, a big part of what the story is about, but also it's not a, it's not about that. You know, that's just the sort of mechanism. So the, you know, yes, we have these different versions of Thor that are fighting together. Um, but Gore's plan, you know, as you as you get to kind of in the second arc of God of Thunder, is he, you know, he realizes it's such a pain to just go around and murder gods one at a time. So he comes up with an idea of like, why well, I need to do something that's just going to kill them all. And it, you know, he's he's enacting this plan in the far future, and what he's going to do is sort of going to ripple back through time and basically kill all the gods, you know, that are or ever were. So by the time we get to that point. Even though uh, present day Thor is fighting next to his older self, they could all die. They could all die in that moment, and not just them, but you know every god they've ever known from throughout time. You know that we literally get to the moment where all the gods who've ever existed start to feel that you know what feel what Gore is doing, and they all you know pray to Thor in that moment every god who's ever existed is praying to thor to to save the day so yeah i think hopefully you still feel like you get the stakes of it when it all comes down to to the end i love that you put it that way because it's like gore pretty much gets what he wants he wants all these gods to feel human and like realize that they're not you know completely invincible like they can be you know snapped out of existence in like at any moment Right. Yeah, I think Gore is always too blinded by his rage and his anger to see that the god he would like to exist does exist. It's standing right in front of him. It's Thor. I think he can't ever, he never sees that um, through any of that. He never sees like, oh, okay, you're the guy. You're doing it right. Like, good job, buddy. Um, it's all the rest of these gods who suck, but you're the good one. 
Gore's Gore's never going to see that. He's too consumed by everything he's been through, you know, by the darkness in him. The Necro Sword. Um, I want to go back to the gradual introduction of Gore in these pages because we get the beheaded god that shows up with the look of terror in the first issue and little hints and different things and Gore's um, constructs and, and different elements. And then that second issue, I believe, is where we get him in that first, like, silhouette of him in the in the fog is so cool and gnarly and that issue really particular a lot of this does feel like a a horror movie but like a big horror action movie in cool ways um i love the way he comes in and we we see him from the side we see him from the back and he's moving so fast and it's that sense of like what is this guy gonna be and that Asad draws a great shot of him, like, you know, coming at us. And then there's one, though, one panel of him really tight close up with his claw, his hand stretched out and he's growling. And you get the look in his eyes and his teeth bearing. It is friggin rad as hell. Were you doing full panels um, in your scripts for these or were you going like what was the, the back and forth between you and Asad? Yeah, I mean, I pretty much always do full script. So, you know, every, yeah, panel by panel, everything was in there. With Gore, yeah, we were very conscious about getting him in creepy little glimpses uh, at first. And then I think that that first fight is actually a fight in the clouds, right? Like, I yeah. wanted, I liked, again, we're dealing with the God Butchers, guys killing God. So I thought that first kind of creepy murder scene should involve winged horses and you know blood in the clouds it's like raining god blood i think is one of the lines right that thor mutters and i you know i think Esad, if you weren't already convinced he was a great artist by that point i think him drawing those bloody winged horses uh Terrifying. that issue should should drive the point home I, I i really love that scene so we're in issue two now and like in that same scene that we're, we're you're just talking about right now Gore has just finished murdering two Russian gods. Chernobog and uh, Perun. Yes. Did you have to do a lot of research on these gods? I know some of them are like alien gods, but I'm curious, like, what was your research like leading into this? I mean, I think both of those gods had appeared before. You know, I wanted to sort of go to Esad's part of the world and give him some gods that were a bit closer to home. And kill them. Here, murder right, these gods that you might recognize. Great job. <laughs> Well, look, we kill a lot of gods. Yeah. We put a lot of bodies on the on the table over the course of this the course of this just these first five issues. That should be the T-shirt. We kill a lot of gods, right? <laughs> Surprised that's not the subtitle, Thor. That's on my business card, actually. <laughs> uh, those two gods in particular, I, I got a chuckle out of because it's been a while since I read this, and I was I was like, oh. We've seen them come back in the pages of Avengers and in, in, um, mm-hmm. sh- right. showed up in, in stories you've done again. So, look, gods, as as Thor says, you know, the, a lot of these gods die and they come back in different ways and die again. Right. Yeah, those guys still kind of come back as jerks. <laughs> they're, <laughs> they're, they're bad guys in the, yeah, the, in the Russian Winter Guard. Um, in issue three, there's two things in particular I wanted to focus on. One is Omnipotent City which is mm-hmm. super duper cool. So cool. You know, as you're putting your pitch together, was that part of the pitch? Was that something in your, in your mind with the library? And like the freaking librarian is a pip. I love him. <laughs> He's a hoot. He's great. 
Yeah, I love the way Esad drew him too with those little wings he's got. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was kind of always in the pitch. You know, again, I was sort of looking at just exploring God society in the Marvel universe, right? And um, in the in the cosmos at large. And so I liked the idea that they would have their kind of capital city, you know, where all the gods come there to hang out to whatever shop in the god bazaar or take their go to small claims court to have disputes settled between gods and and yeah of course there would need to be a library can you know containing the knowledge of all the gods from throughout the entire you know universe with one really grumpy librarian who of course hates thor because he in his mind he just remembers thor you know, Odin would bring Thor and Loki there because he's trying, it's basically like homeschooling, you know, the kids. <laughs> so he'd bring them there and like, you know, go read some damn books, you rambunctious kids. And Thor would just break it <laughs> or, or Loki would break it <laughs> and blame it on Thor. Who knows? Um, but, you know, you figure young kid Thor wasn't a big book reader. The librarian's not a fan. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the other thing I wanted to talk about was um, the spread here, which is also yeah. in the, the credits page of the collection, where we see this giant god. And Thor says, I knew this god, Falagar the Behemoth. And he used then, to wrestle with black holes for fun. Oh, it's just such it's a, one of my favorite quotes in this, this entire as, run. As you do, yeah. I love it. I love it. Yeah, as we're getting into the end uh, of this, of the short arc. One of the things that you play with is memory. So you're already playing with time and like you're talking about the three different versions of Thor from different eras. Um, and I found that part interesting that like for someone who's immortal, memory is such a like, it's like challenging, but also like it's something that's not really as explored where it's like, yeah, if you're alive for millions of years, you know, a, a short 30 year time span is a blip just a little blip in like your entire life. I, I'm curious, like where did that idea come from? Well, you know, again, I think it was just sort of about exploring what makes Thor different from everybody else. And the f part of it is the fact that he's lived so very long and really, what does that mean? You know? And I like the idea of kind of how that plays into how he looks at humanity and appreciates humanity as sort of, he has lived so very long. They are like a blip to him, right? Like Steve Rogers is a blip, is a blink of the eye his entire life. But that doesn't mean, you know, like so many times we'd, we'd see movies where you have characters who are immortal and they're just so sad, right? Like, well, this is a curse. I've lived too long. Everybody's dead. I just want to die. Like, please let me die. And Thor is not like that. He loves his life. He loves what he's getting to do. And he loves and appreciate people he meets along the way. If anything, that makes him appreciate them all the more because he knows, you know, you're going to be dead soon. I'm going to turn around and you're going to be dead. So I just, I just liked exploring all of that. I think that's a big part of his, again, his character, what makes him who he is, what makes him a good God. And yet part of that is like, he's not going to be able to remember everything he's done because um, he's been around so long and, which, you know, helps when you're doing this story where he's hanging out with, you know, multiple time traveling versions of himself. As they can't always remember, like, did, did I remember this happening? Yeah. And I think it, even in this in this short, like in the five issues, there's one or two moments where Thor is like, you know, like he talks about his memory, but he's like, this is one thing I will never forget. And it makes it like the stakes just come up even higher. Um, but like, I like that you keep talking about how, you know, Thor is different 
than all the other Marvel heroes because there's even a scene where I think it's at the end of issue three where Iron Man comes in and it's not like for a fight or anything. It's just kind of like a here, I'm going to bring you to this thing so we can kind of work through how we're going to tackle this thing. But in that moment, for me as a reader, it was very interesting because it was just like, oh, like Tony is leagues below this type of like fight. It made it very real where I was like, oh no, this is something that only Thor can like tackle. Like it was a straight up contrast where I was like, this isn't Iron Man would wouldn't last like a minute in this type of war. Yeah, that's part of the idea of just to show, you know, yeah, Thor is an Avenger. He goes off and does battle with those guys. But this story, this is sort of gods only, you know, sorry, Tony, you're cool and all. That's great armor, but you need to be a god to, to be a part of this fight. God egos only. Right. Which, I, you know, I like those characters, those heroes who have their own beat that they walk right? That sort of is separate from everybody else. And Thor very much has that, you know, he's the only hero who's flying off to, to Niflheim and Alfheim and, and all these other realms. Um, You know, he makes him very, very unique within the halls of Marvel. Um, Before we let you go, you mentioned you got a Punisher book going on. You're also writing Avengers. Tell us a little bit about all the Mephistos, because uh, I was emailing you and Javier Garon about these. It was Avengers 55, which Jasmine read it before I did, and she was pointing out some stuff in there. And I was like, oh, man, I got to ask these nerds about this book because it's so friggin' cool. It seems like you guys are having a blast over on Avengers. Yeah, absolutely. And that spread you're talking about is Full credit to Javier on that one. You know, it's it's one of those moments where it's, it's it's so easy for me to write double page splash, packed full of alternate reality versions of Mephisto, and then Javier, you know, draws hundreds of them, <laughs> and each so distinct, each with their own personality and look. He's been doing really, really in, in incredible work on Avengers, and I think it's kind of getting crazier and crazier as we go. You know, he does these, this next couple of the issues, yeah, 55 is is like a Nighthawk issue. And then the next one actually uh, brings back Jane Foster Thor. We get, it focuses on Jane Foster Valkyrie and we we somehow get to see her face to face with, with Thor. And then the issues right after that, the Javier's too, and are, they're called, his, the arc is called History's Mightiest Heroes. So the Avengers start bouncing around through time and we see kind of, previous versions of earth's mightiest heroes we've never heard of before um and javier's designing all those and just doing really really uh, amazing work i'm I'm really thrilled to be working with him also nicest guy just comics oh. nicest dude you could ever meet so so joyful and passionate about what he's doing and then yeah and avengers forever i'm you know Aaron Cooter's the, the 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 same way like that one. It's the every issue in that book we're doing new characters, you know, new alternate reality versions of the Avengers of the the some of the biggest Marvel villains. And uh, these two books are kind of you know sort of sister titles right now. They sort of two sides of the same coin. As we build forward over the course of this year. We'll get to the point where we'll see those two books uh, smashed together in a pretty giant way uh, this fall. I just turned in the outline for kind of what that is um, a few weeks ago, and then it, it you know felt so big and weighty. I I kind of had to sit and have a couple glasses of wine after I turned it in. I thought that's what it was. I read your um, your newsletter. I'm a subscriber, and I was oh, like, thanks. I think I know what this is. 
I need to subscribe. That was one hell of a tease, though. Wow. Uh, Jason, I'm going to dub you the god of Marvel fertility because I think about all the stuff <laughs> you 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 sow the fields with in Marvel stories. Going back to one of my favorites who I hope one day you give us more of, Knuckles O'Shaughnessy. Uh, I want him. And, uh, I love Knuckles. Uh, love Knuckles. Go, Everybody go read uh, Jason's <laughs> Ghostwriter run for, for a glimpse of what the hell I'm talking about. Uh, but just like alternate realities, all these things, you're, all the, the gods and all these things, bless you for blessing us with all these characters and stories. <laughs> well, also, I wasn't sure where you were going there, but, uh, th- but thanks. <laughs> also, thank you for bringing Ares into Punisher because that is oh, that is my shit right there. That is my bread and butter. And like to see him appear at that on that last page He's made so me big too. so oh high. Shit. Thanks. Yeah, the, the I am having so much wicked fun with punisher and believe me i mean people have no idea they have no idea kind of what's coming their way jason go get some delicious barbecue and <laughs> uh and just keep being you keep making that's what stories. It, i'm in kansas city that's what i do every day i know i'm jealous they just give people free barbecue on the streets that's what i've heard <laughs> mm-hmm. i guess i'm moving to kansas city hell yeah thank <laughs> you so much it. jason this was great thank you, thank you all this was fun big thank you once again to jason for coming on for our big 200th episode honestly i could do a conversation with jason about his ghostwriter run his wolverine Mm -hmm. run his weapon Mm -hmm. x run his wolverine Mm -hmm. and the x-men run his Mm -hmm. uh the rest of his thor run um, avengers uh, oh god his avengers run his hulk run like everything original sin yeah oh there's so many things lots that we could talk to him about so hopefully we will get him on the show one more time go read all the books he's written and also check out his creator own stuff because mm-hmm. he rules he rules so, hard. so good jason so much this episode of marvel's pull list was produced by ryan panagos jasmine estrada and Kara mcgurk allison jill duboff is our director of audio and brad barton is marvel's pull list senior manager of audio production and development and you know after he read the god butcher the first time he was like mm-hmm. call me the pod butcher because mm-hmm. that's that's what he does that's what he, he does podcasts yeah, it's actually in his, in his email signature. It's kind of, I don't know if you remember those MySpace, like, little, like, arts that glitter, like the little gifts before the gifts were a thing. Yeah, you just of course. stick them in there. Yeah. That, that's his signature on his on his email. So whenever you email him, you get a, like, bright and glittery pod butcher underneath his name. Live the gimmick, Brad. Live yeah. the gimmick. Yeah. I'm Ryan. And I'm Jasmine. This is Marvel. Your universe.